17 through 42 here this morning. If you remember with us last week, we uh, started chapter five and dealt with a couple, husband and wife uh, duo, Ananias and Sapphira, who obviously had seen what Barnabas had done earlier there at the end of chapter four, where he had taken a piece of property that he owned and he sold it and uh, brought the proceeds of it and gave it to the apostles to help meet the needs of a, a very growing and dynamic church there in Jerusalem. And Ananias and Sapphira saw that, and then they wanted that that public recognition, and so they sold a piece of property or gave money for it, and but held a portion of it back. And all of a sudden, Peter, with a word of knowledge, calls them out and says, "Why? It's not that you've lied to us, but you've lied to the Holy Spirit. The money was yours to do with, but why would you try to pretend to be something that you're not?" That was really the message of hypocrisy and the way that the Lord dealt with it so dramatically where their lives were taken from them, first Ananias, then his wife, Sapphira. And then it was pretty fascinating when you read this, what took place there was all of a sudden great fear came over the people. They were thinking, man, if God did that to them, what would he do to me? And it caused people to really stand up and take notice. And we'll take a look at that here in chapter five, as we continue on. Uh, I titled the message, Built Tough. And I remember the Timex watch. Anybody have a, still have a Timex? Anybody got a Timex? Yeah, we got a couple of them, yeah. Back when, and I was born in 1960, so this went back previously. It was in 1956 that they came out with a, a commercial. They just didn't, it was a, their brand just wasn't doing any good, and they were trying to come up with something. They'd tried hiring professional spokespeople like we do today, get a social influencer, have them wear your watch, and, and it works now. Then it didn't, right? Just didn't have the means. And so they decided they'd try something. So what they did was they took a Timex watch and they strapped it one to it like one was a cement mixer. They threw it in a cement mixer and they pulled it out and they washed it out. And anybody remember what was the saying? It says a Timex, it can what? Yes. It takes a licking and it keeps on ticking. Yeah. And they did that. They ran it over in commercials like that now, right? They'll show, they go, it's really tough. And they can run it over a car and they put it back on. And then they have a guy, and speaking of Acapulco, they had a guy, if you remember this one, he dives off of one of the cliffs there in Acapulco with the watch on, right? And not only does he dive, but he also gets it wet, right? And he, he's there and it goes to a certain, how many meters in depth and it survives. And so it, it they ended up in 1960, so in four years, they ended up with, and this is a huge number, they ended up with 25% of the market share because that thing stuck in people's minds. And as I was reading chapter five and in chapter two as well, and seeing what the apostles were going through at the hands of the Jewish leaders, that they would beat them and then release them, right? First thing that came to my mind, I started laughing. I go, man, I go, but they just, you'll see here in chapter five, they, Peter and John, these guys, what, they took a licking and they just kept on ticking, but there's something in that. And, and hopefully in the, that morbid even thought process that it's an encouragement to you today, you might be going through it and you feel, man, I'm just taking a licking in life and, and my circumstance and my situation. And that today the Lord would speak to you that, Hey, but you know what, but you can keep on ticking in him. You know what we say this often that the, the safest place to be in the world is in the center of God's will. And the most dangerous place to be is any other place. Okay. And so as we look at this morning, I know the Lord will encourage you like he has me. Let's take a moment and we'll pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we look forward to what you'll teach us today in the book of Philippians, 
as we'll look at this verse and then back into the book of Acts here. And Lord, I just pray that your word is living, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, that it would encourage us today and strengthen us, that it would give us vision, Lord, and clarity as to the call that you've placed upon our lives as well. We're not just reading about history, but the book of Acts is really what you continue to do this very day through our lives, through the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we study, help us to grow, help us to retain. Lord, help us to be able to live out those things, Lord, that you're doing in us today. And we give you all the praise and the glories, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I look at this and a verse came to mind as I was studying through Acts chapter 5, Philippians 4, 19. It says, and my God shall supply all of your needs by his riches and glory that are in Christ Jesus. God doesn't always give us what we want, right? But he always gives us what we need. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says, now all glory to God who's able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might what we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. And that includes us as well. But I think about what's the enemy doing as we look at the book of Acts here this morning and we think of our own lives. First and foremost, what jumps off the page, the, the enemy is constantly trying to cause us to doubt, right? Does, does the enemy ever try to make you doubt God? Like you get, you go through a trial, right? You're in a trial and you got to discern, you go, is this God or is this just my stupidity or is this the devil? Is the devil doing something to me here? And we always want to blame it on something else. I don't want to ever take personal responsibility, but oftentimes God does lead us into these situations where he can show himself strong for us. And so the enemy wants you to doubt. And I, I think as you read through the book of Acts, and you see this persecution, because remember, there's 300 years of persecution that's about to unfold upon the church. Ten waves of persecution, and they get, and it's doubt. He, the devil just wants you to doubt, just like he wanted Peter and John and the early apostles and disciples there to doubt. The other thing, and I just shared it as we started to pray here this morning, was he wants us to fear. Pain is a great, in a sense, gift from God. In the truest sense, it's the gift nobody wants. But like I said, if you touch a hot stove, thank God that it hurts so you pull back so it doesn't kill you. But here, the devil wants to use pain to get the gospel to stop. And he's doing that in many lives today because you're looking at what's going on in the world and maybe you're feeling it a little bit yourself that you've shared the gospel with somebody and now fear. It's not that you're fearing physical pain so much, but maybe it's social pain. Everybody one of the things that we use on social media and understand when this was created, you go back to Facebook and it was created to be an addictive part of life and all social media. And most were done in conjunction with the psychology department of major universities to get inside of our head to what, what is it that, you know, that we want out of life and then to be able to have it at your fingertips. Right. And so it just draws you into social media. And so maybe you're afraid that you'll, and we use the little click, right? You like it or you give it thumbs up, right? So we become what? We become so accustomed to what other people think about us and not so much about what God thinks, but you know what, man, if I say this and we see it, we call it because we're seeing a cancel culture, right? If you believe in Jesus, man, you're going to get canceled. And what will that do? That will affect your bottom line. And we see it happening in the world today. So Christians do what? Out of doubt and out of fear, then begin to shut down. And we look and we'll see all through the book of Acts, especially in the life of the apostle Paul, 
there when he's in Athens, he's messing with the silversmiths and, and their ability for profitability. They make these little, little chains and little things of Diana. And all of a sudden Paul's going, man, that's a false God. You don't need that anymore. And people quit buying the little Diana tokens. And what do they want? They want Paul dead, you know, cause that's cutting into their bottom line. And we see that all around in the world today. And like I said, it's not necessarily going to be physical pain, but it could be financial. If we're so worried about, Hey man, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And not trusting the Lord here that my God, as Paul said, shall supply all of your need. My God, he said, shall supply all of your need, your God. He will meet your needs. And Paul saw that in his own life. And he's encouraging us to receive and believe from him today in the same way. In verse 11, after Ananias and Sapphira fell there at the feet of Peter and they carried him out and buried him. And I love that in verse 11, chapter five, it says, so great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. What would you do? All of a sudden you go, hey, someone, you got sin in your life. You lied to the Holy Spirit. And you stand up and all of a sudden, boom. They're dead. Like I said, and I shared this in second service last week and you go, and then you start just naming people, right? And they stand up and they fall over when you got John and Kevin sitting in the back and they're talking to each other on the, they got the headsets in. They go, hey, we'd lost another one. That's the front row. Okay. Let's get that one. Third row, sixth row, that couple in the back. When you go, all of a sudden, what are people going to do? You're going to have a holy fear. I guarantee you. Cause you're going, okay, Lord, I repent. You start thinking, okay, I want to come clean. And that's exactly what was happening. In verse 12, it goes on. It says, the apostles were performing. It says, many miraculous signs and wonders amongst the people. And it says, all the believers, and I love that, all, and I'm reading from the NLT, all believers were meeting regularly at the temple, the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. You can't downplay, church, the power of unity. The world sees it because they see the craziness in the world. And when the church can come together and say, this is how we want to do it. I want to, and you just watch because that's what happens with people. They'll come into the church and they seek to divide the church as opposed to going on. Let's see a greater work. This might be more miraculous than any of the other signs and wonders is a church that's unified for its purpose. It doesn't allow the enemy. There's issues. You deal with them. You deal with them the way the Bible says to deal with them. If you have a problem with somebody, go to the person. You don't go to social media. You don't telegraph it. You don't telegram it. You go to the person. And again, it's one of these things where you go, it's so simple if we just believed and trusted God, if we just acted on the things that the Holy Spirit would lead us to do. But they were meeting regularly. And like I said, they were all together. So this was something that was a consistency in their life. And the scripture says, and they went out from us to show that they weren't of us because one of the, the demarcations of the church is always a coming together. It is a, a unifying. And you're going to see in a greater sense in the end times, one of the demarcations of the last times, men will be lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. And do I, I personally believe COVID was something that the devil used to open that door so people would turn inward. They become what? Fearful. They were worried. So they can't, they, the devil gave them that opportunity. It was a health issue. It was a health risk, right? So we're going to stay away. They never came back. And you go, what did it do? It wasn't because of that. All that did was expose what was already there. It gave them the license or the reason you might say. And so these are the things we have to think through. The enemy is cunning. He's, again, he's disguised himself as an angel of light, right? Scripture says he comes in, it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. There's this appearance that, man, it's, that's why Ananias and Sapphira went down. It was hypocrisy. They were presenting themselves to be something that 
they're not. And so people, again, they go, well, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be part of this. I can, and you go, it's a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus died for his bride, the church. He's coming again for his bride. That's it. individually, collectively, it's us together, right? It says we'll be with him together. If you didn't like being with people here, why would you like being with them for all eternity? Think about that. I got to be with them forever? Yeah, ever. Yeah, and you oh, man. But I love the fact that when you see they're all together here, and I like what one commentator said, he said, the mention of the multitudes of both men and women is Luke's way of reminding us that the cleansing of the church connected with Ananias and Sapphira did no lasting damage. And I thought that's a great, it's a great point. God dealt with it and what? Boom, he went on. Verse 13 through 16, it goes on, it says, but no one else dared to join them. Yeah, you, you get that? It's, there's humor in this chapter. I really appreciate guys keep, I do not want any part of that thing. It says, even though all the people had high regard for them, they appreciated their integrity. They appreciated their boldness. They appreciated, they believed what they believed and it meant something to them. Like I said, Many people today have such a casual belief. They, go, oh, they would say, I believe in God. I believe. You go, but man, what would they do if it was put to the test? I remember Pastor Chuck shared one, one time that uh, coming out of church, he said a man came up to him, put a gun to his head. And he told him, he said, I, get on your knees. I'm going to blow your brains out right in front of Calvary Chapel. And he said, well, okay, what do you need me to do? He says, I'll, I'll let you live if you denounce Jesus. And Chuck said, I can't. He said, I'd be lying to you. He said, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he's my savior and Lord. I believe that he died for my sin. I believe he died for your sin. I believe if you pull the trigger, he could still forgive you of your sin, but it would be sinful. And the guy hands Pastor Chuck the gun, starts crying and he's going, man, I, now I know. And like Chuck's going, thanks a lot that, that you had to threaten me with death to, to find out that what I believe was true. You go, but it was taking it to the extreme. The world wants to know, do we really believe? God wants. He knows, but when he tests us, it's not so that he would know, it's so that we would know. And again, you'll never know until you get tested. That's the beauty of being tested. That's why scripture tells us to count it all joy when we're tested, because it proves something. It proves whether you really do believe or if you don't believe. And so he said, yet in verse 14, more and more people believed and were brought. Because why? Because they saw that, hey, you know what? These guys are different. Like I said, the centurion at the foot of the cross, he saw Jesus was different. There was something about him that was different than everybody else. And it, and it wasn't evil. It was purity. It was love. It was integrity. And so he says, and the crowds, both of men and women. So everybody, it wasn't just, this is the beauty. When Jesus came, he came to unite. The world at that point, women were basically voiceless in the world. It wasn't, Christianity wasn't anti-woman. It was pro-women. Jesus dignified women, gave them a, a, a wonderful place in ministry and service in the body of Christ. It says, and as a result of the apostles' work in verse 15, it says, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow <clears throat> might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, it says, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits. And then in the NLT, it says, and they were what? All. It says, it didn't say some, but they were all healed. I like what David Guzik writes. He says that at least the shadow of Peter's passing might fall on some of them, assuming people were healed. Apparently, even the shadow of Peter became a point of contact where people released faith in Jesus as healer. 
it seems that people well understood what Peter had said in Acts 3, 12 through 16, that Jesus heals, and even if he does his healing through the work of his apostles. Now, it's interesting in that because Peter deflected. He didn't say, hey, it's because of me. But you look at today, we'll have, and you'll see within Christian circles, they'll say, Calvary Chapel, this Sunday is having so-and-so. He's a, or she's a faith healer, right? A faith healer. And they come and you go, it's not what's in scripture. It's not the person. Peter didn't do that. It's Jesus who heals. Amen. And again, how do you know the counterfeit from the real? How many people got healed? It says here in Acts 5, it says all the people got healed. I have no problem if a faith healer is coming, if we should be able to advertise this, right? A faith healer is coming this Sunday. And guess what? Everybody who comes, what? Will be healed, right? That would be cool, wouldn't it? But what happens is a faith healer comes and the faith healer, something, something happens, and then people don't get healed. And then what's the reasoning? What do they say? What do they say? You, you know what they say. What do they say? Somebody said it. They don't have faith. Yeah. So you're the reason. You're the reason you didn't get healed. You didn't believe. And you go, how am I healed? Is it really my belief or is it the fact that God heals? Yeah. Again, Peter and John are on the way to the temple, and there's a man who's been lame for 40 years, and Jesus had walked past him, right? And Peter just moved by the Holy Spirit. says, silver and gold I have not, but what I give to you, I give in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Was the guy there to be healed is my question. Was he there to be healed in Acts chapter 4? No. He was there doing what? Begging for money. And Peter's going, I got something better. I got something better. I got something money can't buy. And he says, rise up and walk. And wow, a changed life, right? And so we're seeing the you know, signs and wonders. Remember, I told you there, there's what? You think of 29, 29 miracles that are recorded in the book of Acts. That's about one every year. Okay, so this wasn't every day things were happening. Like we think, oh, why is that happening? And then, like I said, you go, hey, if you're going to pray for miracles, remember, what was the third miracle? <laughs> the third miracle was the death of Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> you go, hey, we need more miracles. <laughs> you go, I'd be careful on that one. Read it all the way through. And, but here it says they're all healed. And what I love about this church is that everybody could see the reality of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in the apostles' lives. And those who love darkness rather than the light, what did they do? Man, they were repelled by it, right? Man, it pushed them away. But those that were seeking the truth, what happened to them? They were drawn in. They came to the light as he himself is in the light. Yeah. And, and I pray that that light draws us in. Hebrews 2, 1 through 4 puts it like this. So we must listen very carefully to the truth that we've heard, or we may drift away from it. That's why we come together. It's easy to drift. It's easy to hear a message once and then, and then be reminded of it. You wait and you go, oh man, I forgot that, right? I tell you all the time, I forget the things I need to remember, and I remember the things I need to forget. And it's so true. So that's the redundancy of coming and studying the Word together and hearing it and sharing it and talking about it, reasoning together. It says, carefully to the truth we've heard, or we may drift away, for the message God delivered through the angels has always stood firm, and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think that we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself 
and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak. Okay, that's the apostles, that's the disciples. And it says, and God confirmed the message or their message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. So again, this signs and wonders, again, followed. And you go, why was that important? People think the New Testament hadn't been written yet. Signs and wonders were, was the confirmation for them to see, oh, this is of God. This is how we know it's of God. Look at miraculous things that only God could do. And even the Jews would recognize that. But now we have Scripture. We, we see the, the canonization of Scripture. We've got the New Testament. So now we have this testimony of God's Word. Do we still need miracles? Absolutely. Does God still do miracles? Absolutely. But it wasn't that you needed it as a sign. Now it's faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the Word of God, taking Jesus at his word, believing his word, resting in it. What is it? To believe means to believe, means to trust, means to rely, means to act. It's volitional, right? It's present tense in our life. It's not, I used to believe, I used to. It's no, every single day of our life. Verse 17 goes on, it says, and the high priest and his officials who were Sadducees, remember what were the Sadducees? They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in an afterlife. And so this confronts their theology. Have you ever seen two people that don't believe something theologically have a discussion? It can get pretty heated, can it? Everybody, right? Everybody believes that they're, they're right. And so the high priests, they were frustrated. They were infuriated that people were starting to listen to Peter and James and John. What uneducated men who scripture says had just simply been with Jesus, right? And they began to share that truth and it was followed by signs and wonders. So we know that 3,000 souls, we know that 2,000 souls. So at this point, at least 5,000 people have turned from just being Jewish to Messianic Jews. They believe in Jesus as the promised Messiah and they place their hope and their trust in him. And so we know that it says they were filled, it says, with jealousy. You ever been jealous? <laughs> Man, being jealous is not a healthy thing. It not only hinders our obedience to the Lord, but oftentimes it's probably the greatest source of injustice in the world today. Jealousy. They were jealous of Peter and John. They were jealous of Jesus. And what did they want to do when they became jealous? Their jealousy. Have you ever seen this? People are so jealous of someone else, they kill them. Happens every day in the world. It happened then, it still happens now. And yet the gospel, I saw this pretty interesting. The gospel always relies on grace and mercy and love, where the flesh always relies on force. We saw this past week, didn't we? You see what was taking place in Washington, D.C. There was a gathering, I, th I think I saw the numbers, it was 300,000 people gathered in support of Israel, right? to stand with Israel, to pray and to sing. And if you saw any of the news reports, they're singing, God bless America. They're singing songs in Hebrew. They're singing songs in English. They're holding hands. They're praying. 300,000 people, right? Not one arrest, a peaceable demonstration. Then they had a pro-Palestinian movement, which was just a few hundred people. And it became violent. They attacked the Capitol Police. They defaced government property. They destroyed things. And one person 
one person got arrested for that. And you look at it and I thought, boy, that is such a beautiful picture really of what was taking place in the times of the book of Acts is you have people that are loving God, they're peaceable, they're together, they're in unity. They're again, they're going, wait, do Jews and Christians believe the same thing? Oh, we're both monotheistic. We believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but the Jews haven't accepted Christ as their Messiah. They will, but they haven't. But that doesn't mean that we can't love and we can't support and understand the biblical significance of all that's going on. And you go, and that's a light. God says that he would stir the heart of the Jewish people through what? Through jealousy. They would see our love for Jesus and our love for them and to be able to stand and support them. It doesn't mean that do we think everything that goes on in Israel is right or perfect or good? You go, no. But we know this, that they are God's chosen people. And we know because of our Jewish friends, we've been grafted in to this promise. The promise of salvation was first to the Jew and then the Gentile, okay? And understanding that. And so I love this as we look at Scripture and it says, so what do they do? The Sadducees, the religious leaders, they take them by force. They don't just say, hey, we don't agree with you. It's, you have a First Amendment right. It says, no, they arrested the apostles in verse 18. They put them in public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. And then he told them, go to the temple and give the people the message of life. So daybreak, the apostles entered the temple as they were told and immediately began teaching. And when the high priest and his officials arrived for work at nine o'clock, says they convened the high council, the full assembly of the elders of, excuse me, of Israel, <laughs> says, and they sent for the apostles to be brought from jail for trial, right? So they're thinking, okay, we arrest them. They're in prison, right? So let's go get them and let's put them on trial. It says, but when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone, but the jail was locked. I mean, it wasn't like, wasn't a breakout. There wasn't bending of the bars and the guards were all beaten up and tied up and stuff. The guards were there as they were, thinking that the guys were still inside, right? Bars were all in place, nothing messed up. So it says they returned to the council and they reported the jail was securely locked with the guards standing outside. When we opened the gates, no one was there. When the captain of the temple guard and the leading priest heard this, they were perplexed, wondering, where would it all end? And I love that. So here's the thought. Do locked doors mean anything to God? Do locked doors mean anything to God? But they mean a lot to us, right? But somebody needs to hear this. That's here today. As I was praying this morning, coming in, I felt like the Lord... For somebody, it might only be one of you today, but you need to hear this. Locked doors mean nothing to God. I don't know what that means for you, but you do because the Holy Spirit will quicken it to you. There's something in front of you, and God would encourage you today with that. As you read this story, and you look at this, there's a jail cell there. It's locked. It's being guarded, and they're not there. They're not there. That God delivered them. Locked doors mean nothing to God. Why? because nothing is impossible with God. Can you say that with me this morning? Nothing is impossible with God. But I know there's some of you who go, oh, this is impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. There in verse 24, it wasn't just how long they will keep this up, but it's where will it end? I love that. That's a great question that Jesus answered. Where's it gonna end? Because they're going, when are they gonna stop? When are they gonna stop this? We locked them up, right? When are they going to stop? What did Jesus say? 
Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go into all the world and do what? Go into all the world and make what? Disciples, yeah, of what? All the nations, right? They're just getting started. This party is just getting started. What did Jesus say? Where? In Jerusalem. What was the next? Judea. And then where? Samaria. And then where? The Bakersfield. That's right. The uttermost parts of the world. Where are they at right now? Jerusalem, right? This thing is just getting going, right? And they're just doing what God instructed them to do. What's that old expression? How do you eat an elephant? What is it? How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Some of us today, you're just trying to bite off way more than you can chew. The world's got you all frazzled. You're looking at everything. I always got there's circles of influence and there's circles of concern. There's no problem. You can be concerned for the world and you should pray for the world, but you have a circle of influence. You have yourself, you have your family, you have your friends, you have influence in a certain sphere, but you can be distracted by the enemy. You can start to doubt. You can start to become afraid and you can miss the very opportunity that God has placed right in front of you. But I'll say this, from the book of Acts, what we see is, man, it is today, it's still going strong. People are still getting saved. People are still coming to Christ. Verse 25 and 26 says, then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple, teaching the people. The captain went to with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid for the people would stone them. So they went and got him. You're under arrest again, again, like you were, but this time don't leave. How do they even talk to him? If you don't see the humor in this at all, it's man, what in the heck, what would they say to him? It says, then they brought them verse 27, the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them. We gave you strict orders, very strict. That didn't stick never again to teach in this man's name. He said, instead, you have filled, I love this, what a compliment, right? You have filled all of Jerusalem with your teaching about Jesus, and you want to make us responsible for his death. Remember, it goes back to Acts 7, you, you crucified. His blood's on your hands. It says in verse 29, but Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. Do you think Peter had a little bit of boldness here? after being set free already? What would you do if you were in prison and the gates of the prison just opened up and you were set free and an angel of the Lord appears to you and says, go back and preach, right? And you go back and preach and then they come and arrest you again. Are you going to stand there and go, you go, here guys, <laughs> this, I have no idea what he's going to do this time, but I'm pretty sure if he did anything like it was the first time, this is going to be good, right? They're, they're not worried about anything and you shouldn't be either. What is the safest place to be in your life is where? The center of God's will. The worst place to be is any other place, is be in the center of God's will. And you go, Pastor Mike, how do I do that? Walk in the Word. When you read it in Scripture, do it. Don't fight it. Don't say, it doesn't apply to me or not. Nah, do it. Just do what the Word of God says. All they did was what the angel of the Lord said. Where did he say to do? Go to the temple. Preach. They went at dawn, right? They, they went sun up. They were there. They were ready. Okay, we're here. Anybody here? We'll talk to them. Here's a question for you. What was the answer for their prayer for boldness? You see it in Peter's life. You can see 
they prayed, God, we need boldness. We need boldness to do your will. And God answered that prayer. If you need boldness in your life today, if you go, man, I just, I get that, then make it your prayer and say, God, do it again. Just like Peter did. Do it again, Lord, do it again. There's probably a time in your life, maybe you were bold, but because of all the things happening in the world today, maybe you've become a little fearful and you go, well, great. Thank God for fresh infillings of his Holy Spirit. Pray for holy boldness today. Pray that God would give you what he needs. And then people, they ask me all the time this one, because of all the things that are going on, Pastor Mike, when can we practice civil disobedience? It's a great question. Anytime you want, you really can. Anytime you want. Hopefully you're led of God when you do. But what are the aspects of civil disobedience? Civil disobedience in the life of believers is always based upon the Word of God. You are always following the Word of God. How, why do we protest against abortion clinics? What would be the simple reason? I'm just picking something. You go, what's the simple reason to protest against a abortion clinic? Thou shalt not what? Murder. You go, do we have a right to be civilly disobedient? Absolutely. But then how should we do it? There was a guy in Kern County years ago. He actually drove his van into a abortion clinic. That's a federal crime. If you're going to do the crime, be willing to what? Do the time. Okay. He didn't really think it through too well. Let's just put it that way. But it's a federal crime. But what we should do, we should always do it exercising humility. Can you see that through the book of Acts? They were always humble before the Lord. They weren't fighting. They weren't getting there and then punching out the Capitol Police. They made a protest. And then they look for opportunity, just like the Apostle Paul, to stand before the magistrates and give testimony. And Jesus said, and don't worry about what you'll say in that day, because by the power of the Holy Spirit, he goes, I will give you the words to speak in that day. Pray for boldness. Pray that you'd have the courage to stand up. Let me just read through this and we'll close. He said, verse 30, he says, that the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead. So you can see what he's saying. This is the testimony right here. He says, after you killed him by hanging him on a cross, then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey him. They shared with boldness. It says, and when they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill them, right? And again, their jealousy, like I said, man, turned into rage. And they literally, they wanted them dead. And they thought that would be a deterrent. They thought if we kill these guys, then nobody else is going to want to follow him. It says, but one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law, stood. He was respected by all the people. He stood up and he ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. They were going to have a conversation. Then he said to his colleagues, men of Israel, take care what you're planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was this fellow, Thutius, who pretended to be someone great. He was a social influencer. Okay. About 400 others joined him but he was killed and all his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got all the people to follow him, but he was killed too. And all his followers were scattered. And you think about Gamaliel, he was a very wise man. He was the teacher, the rabbi to the apostle Paul. 
And his response was, he says, so my advice is leave these men alone, let them go as if they're planning and doing these things merely on their own, not being led of the Holy Spirit. He goes, if they're doing this in the flesh, basically, in his reasoning, and they're not moved by the Holy Spirit, they're not led by God, what's going to happen to what they do? He goes, it'll fizzle out. We've all seen it a million times. He says, but it is from God. You'll not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. And we find that happening with the Apostle Paul later on. We'll see that in chapter 9. But, again, but he's correct. He's false in one way, but he's correct in another. To think that God is still today. He's still moving by the person and the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of people who will surrender themselves to him. Verse 40 goes on, it says, and others accepted his advice. They called the apostles and they flogged, had them flogged. Don't look at that lightly. Flogged there means they were just one step below death. Some translations, if you read it, says they were skinned. They were literally beaten so bad that their skin came off. Painful. It says they ordered them to never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. Now, it's interesting. I want you to think about this. Matthew, church tradition, we don't know this factually, but church tradition tells us, we think of the apostles, right? Here, Matthew was beheaded with a sword. Mike, excuse me, Mark died in Alexandria after being dragged through the streets of the city. Luke was hanged on an olive tree in Greece. John died a natural death, but they unsuccessfully tried to boil him in oil. Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. James was beheaded in Jerusalem. James the less was thrown from a height and then beaten with clubs. Philip was hanged. Bartholomew was whipped and beaten until he died. Andrew was crucified and then preached at the top of his voice to his persecutors until he died. Thomas was run through with a spear. Jude was killed with arrows by an ex executioner. Matthias was stoned and then beheaded, as was Barnabas, and Paul was beheaded in Rome. Now, what I find so interesting in this is that the Bible doesn't record the death of any of the apostles. I don't know about you, but that's fascinating to me. He does one, Judas. Judas Iscariot. Judas did what? He hanged himself. But all the others, it's not like in, in any of the accounts says, and then so and this happened to them, so and so. Because Jesus said what? He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. The resurrection changes everything, you guys. And I truly believe this is why God doesn't post this up. He doesn't say, this is how they died. This is how they died. I just read to you what church tradition says, but it's not in scripture at all. And then to go, why did that happen? Why? Why? And you go, because Jesus is alive. And because Jesus is alive, we live too. He's the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in him, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And it says, then the apostles left the high council rejecting or excuse me, rejoicing that God, that's a different, totally different word, would rejoicing that God had counted them worthy. Remember, they had their skin peeled back, right? It says, but God counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Man, they, again, you got to love this. They didn't play the victim card here. They're not crying. They're not complaining about how they're being treated in life. But they're going, man, not, it's not, God, why me? They're going, God, why not me? Why not me? I like what David Guzik said. He said, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as Christ. Whatever beating or shameful treatment the Sanhedrin gave them, it did absolutely no good. The disciples didn't stop preaching for a moment. 
what a challenge that is to us. And then it says, and every day in the temple, from house to house, they continued to teach and to preach this message, Jesus is the Messiah. They discovered their life's purpose. And I hope you have too. I hope today as a believer that you know that your purpose and my purpose is to bring glory to God. Amen. That is why we live. And I think the best thing that we can do every single time we get ready to leave a service is, Lord, as I read your word and I see what you did through just ordinary men, ordinary women who did extraordinary things, you did because you did it by the power of your spirit working in and through them, that we'd be praying, Lord, fill me with your presence, fill me with your power so that we could go out this week and we could make a difference in Jesus' name, not with force, not by protest per se, but what? With love and a sound mind that we can reason with people, we can live victoriously. We don't have to fall to the enemy's ways that he tries to trick us, but just to keep seeking after the Lord and walking with him, enjoying his presence in our life, understanding what the safest place to be is where? Is in the center of God's will and the most dangerous place to be is any other place. And they knew they were in the will of God. And because of that, they had great joy. And my prayer is you have that same joy. And you can, because it's the same Holy Spirit, the same Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, Paul writes, works mightily in us. And so let's make it our prayer. God, fill me with you. Fill me with your presence. Fill me with your power. Amen. And we'll need it as we go out this week. Let's stand and we'll pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the privilege you give us to, to study your word, to look at it together, to be challenged, Lord, to be convicted by it, God, to be shaped, but Lord, most of all, to be encouraged to, to trust you, to love you, and to want more of you, to make it our prayer. I, I think of the old song we used to sing down in Calvary in 17th and 0, more love, more power, more of you in my life. Lord, make that our prayer, our desire today as we go. We go in the wonderful name of Jesus as we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless.